This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, everyone. Today I'll be talking about the arcuate fasciculus, which is a white matter fiber tract within the human brain. We all know that one of our most important cognitive specializations is our capacity for language. It's safe to say that only humans can combine thousands of arbitrary symbols according to a defined set of rules to create phrases with a nearly infinite variety of meanings. So there must be some neurological specialization that supports this cognitive linguistic specialization. What is it that's different, different about the human brain that allows us to be capable of language. Well, human brains we know are about three to four times larger than the brains of our closest living relatives, the chimpanzee. And so perhaps this explains why humans are capable of language, whereas other primates are not. Perhaps we simply have more brain power because we have a larger brain. Well, this hypothesis has been challenged by the observation that um, there are some human beings who have chimpanzee-sized brains, and we call those people microcephalics, who have language capacities that exceed those of language-trained chimpanzees. And so that suggests to us that there must be some qualitative differences in addition to whatever quantitative differences there are. There must be something about the internal composition of the human brain that's different. So in the 19th century, neurologists like Broca and Wernicke identified cortical regions of the human brain that were involved in speech production in the case of Broca and speech comprehension in the case of, of Wernicke. Homologs of both of these areas have been, been identified in non-human primate brains. And here, for example, you can see on the right side of the slide the location of Broca's and Wernicke's areas homologs in the brain of a rhesus macaque. However, a number of specializations have been identified in human Broca's and Wernicke's areas that might help to explain our capacity for language. So, for example, Broca's area is larger in the left than the right hemisphere in humans, but that's not true in non-human primates. And the cortical columns in Wernicke's area are also larger, wider in the left hemisphere than the right hemisphere in humans. And again, that's not true of non-human primates. But today I'm going to be talking about uh, the connections between Broca's and Wernicke's area. And that connection is known as the arcuate fasciculus pathway. Uh, in a now uh, classic publication from 1970, Geshwin depicted the arcuate fasciculus, as you see here, and um, he was right insofar as the arcuate fasciculus connects Broca's and Wernicke's area. But this picture is actually a little bit misleading because the arcuate fasciculus extends well beyond classic Wernicke's area in the human brain. So back in 1895, the French neurologist Dejerine used postmortem dissection to describe the arcuate fasciculus. From both his written description and his illustration, it's clear that the arcuate fasciculus extended beyond Wernicke's area 
and into the ventrolateral temporal cortex. So here is where Wernicke's area would be, and you can see the arcuate fasciculus projecting well beyond um, Wernicke's area. With modern neuroimaging methods, it's become possible to revisit this question. Specifically, diffusion tensor tractography allows for the visualization of white matter fiber tracts in the human brain. Diffusion tensor tractography is based on the fact that water will preferentially diffuse parallel to the direction in which axons are oriented. Thus, by simply following the principal direction of water diffusion across voxels, we can estimate the trajectory of white matter fiber tracts. Diffusion tractography is not perfect. We know that it can be vulnerable to both false positives and false negatives. Nevertheless, several studies have reported good correspondence between tractography results and the gold standard anterograde and retrograde tracer studies that have been done in uh, macaque monkeys, for example. So in this study by uh, Schmaman et al., you can see a close correspondence between the tracer and tractography reconstructions of the first, second, and third branch of the superior longitudinal fasciculus. Reconstructions of the arcuate fasciculus using diffusion tractography agree with Dejerine in showing that it extends well beyond classic Wernicke's area. So here you can see um, where Wernicke's area is, and there are projections to Wernicke's area, but there are also um, a large number of projections ventral to Wernicke's area. In most humans, we know that language is lateralized to the left cerebral hemisphere, and so therefore it's of interest that the human arcuate fasciculus um, on average tends to be larger in the left than the right hemisphere. So this is one sort of piece of evidence to suggest to us that perhaps it's important for language. And that leads to the question of what exactly is the function of the arcuate fasciculus? Our knowledge about the function of the arcuate fasciculus is based heavily on evidence from brain-damaged patients. This evidence has implicated the arcuate fasciculus in multiple different linguistic functions. Originally, back in the 1800s, lesion studies implicated the arcuate fasciculus in word repetition. However, more recent studies have also linked it with a wide range of different linguistic functions including naming, so for example, naming um, seen objects, complex syntax, speech fluency, and word and sentence comprehension. Some researchers have examined the development of the arcuate fasciculus across childhood. This study divided the arcuate fasciculus into two different components. So there's this yellow component that you see here that you see here that terminates in the premotor cortex. And then there's this purple component that terminates in Broca's area proper. Now, if we look at um, what these pathways look like in newborn infants, we can see that the yellow pathway is visible and present and detectable in newborns, whereas the purple pathway is not. Um, the group that has done this re research, Angela Friederici and her colleagues, has argued that this yellow pathway 
is involved in mapping of sound to articulation so that it would be particularly important for infants as they're learning phonemes by repeating the sounds that they hear. Um, and this is probably a, a really important for the, the babbling phase of human infant development. Um, on the other hand, the purple pathway is hypothesized to be more involved with complex syntax, which is, of course, something that newborn infants are not capable of. Um, and in fact, the purple pathway is not even fully developed in seven-year-old children. And that's interesting because we know that seven-year-old children can still make mistakes in terms of processing syntactically complex sentences. In fact, um, the arcuate fasciculus is not fully mature even by age nine or 10. So this is a study that looked at the, the development of the arcuate fasciculus in terms of its um, white matter integrity or its degree of myelination. And they showed that even by age nine or 10, um, the arcuate fasciculus is not fully myelinated. Um, and furthermore, among the group of children that they studied, the maturation of the arcuate fasciculus, as reflected by its degree of myelination, was correlated with both the speed and accuracy in decoding complex syntax. And so here, this is just showing um, myelination of the arcuate fasciculus being positively correlated with the accuracy in decoding this, uh, these complex syntactical sentences. So the question, next question is, what does the arcuate fasciculus look like in non-human primates? If we think this pathway is important for language and humans have language but non-human primates don't, we might expect the pathway to look quite different in non-human primates and perhaps even um, non-existent. So back in 2008, we did a comparative diffusion tractography study in which we tracked the arcuate fasciculus in human brains, chimpanzee brains, and rhesus macaque brains. And our tractography results are shown on the left, but um, I'll present our results uh, schematically to you on the right. So in humans, we found, as expected, that the arcuate fasciculus projected to um, classic Wernicke's area, but also well beyond that into the ventrolateral temporal cortex, including the superior temporal sulcus, the middle temporal gyrus, and even into the inferior temporal gyrus. In chimpanzees, on the other hand, um, the arcuate fasciculus pathway is less prominent and it's focused primarily on the homologue of Wernicke's area in chimpanzees. And there were a small proportion of chimpanzees that additionally showed weak projections into the middle temporal gyrus, but nowhere near what we saw in humans. And then uh, finally in rhesus macaques, there is a weak arcuate fasciculus pathway that projects um, primarily to Wernicke's area homolog. Also, um, it's important, again, to emphasize that the arcuate fasciculus is more prominent in the left than the right cerebral hemisphere in humans. And in 2012, we showed that that is also the case in chimpanzees. So the chimpanzee arcuate fasciculus is more prominent in the left than the right cerebral hemisphere.
And this suggests to us the possibility that that leftward asymmetry evolved prior to the time at which humans and chimps diverged approximately six to eight million years ago. We can ask, well, what is this cortex doing in the ventral lateral temporal lobe that the arcuate fasciculus is projecting to in the human brain? And this is a, a meta-analysis of human fMRI studies of, of language um, showing you that this cortex on the lateral surface of the temporal lobe is involved in um, semantics, syntax, and phonology. So it's involved in several different higher-level linguistic functions. And that means that the, the cortex that the arcuate fasciculus is reaching in the um, ventral lateral temporal cortex is involved in higher-level linguistic functions. Uh, finally, th there was an important follow-up study to uh, the comparative work that we did, which was done by Roger Mars' uh, group. And I think it's a really interesting and creative study. wanted to say a word about it. Um, so what they did in this study is they took the cortical surface of chimpanzees and they warped that cortical surface to the cortical surface of the human brain. And then they took that transformation and applied that to the chimpanzee tractography results in order to predict what the arcuate fasciculus should look like in humans, assuming that the arcuate simply maintained connectivity between expanded anterior and posterior language cortices. And what they found, so the, the prediction that they made when they did that was what you see here in blue. Um, but that differed quite a bit from what you see in actuality, which is what you see in red. And so you can see that the, the actual projection extends much further into the temporal lobe than the prediction. And what this means is that the human arcuate fasciculus um, expanded beyond these language areas that were, inter were innervated in chimpanzees, and it expanded into new cortical territories in the human brain. And I think that's a very important um, insight. Um, finally, a, an important caveat about all of these comparative studies is that this work um, has only examined the brains of captive non-human primates. Um, we don't know if the brains of non-human primates from the wild uh, will look the same. And I happen to know that there are researchers um, working on this question, so we'll have to stay tuned for that. So in summary, the human arcuate fasciculus is implicated in several different linguistic functions, including word repetition, lexical semantics, and complex syntax. The arcuate fasciculus is not fully developed until late in childhood, and it tracks the development of syntactical abilities. In contrast to chimpanzees and rhesus macaques, the human arcuate fasciculus is much more prominent and extends well beyond classic Wernicke's area into the lateral temporal cortex involved in lexical semantics and syntax. And finally, in contrast to rhesus macaques, the arcuate fasciculus is leftwardly asymmetric in both humans and chimpanzees. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the co-authors who were involved in this work, which is really too many to name, um, but special thanks to Matthew Glasser, Todd Preuss, and Timothy Behrens. 
And we're very grateful for the funding from the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Yerkes Primate Center. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.